Hello, everyone. You're listening to Elisa Unfiltered Living Life Out Loud, the podcast. My name is Elisa curry and I am here today speaking from the heart to inspire and motivate you to be your best self. There is so much more to life than the nine to five daily grind, and I want to share all of my secrets with you. So let's get started. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Elisa Unfiltered Podcast. My name is Elisa, and today is Wednesday, December 21st. It's the winter solstice. Hello, shortest day of the year. A lot happening today in my personal life this um, this day of the year. Um, and this is officially my last episode of 2022, everyone. The last episode of 2022. I can't believe how quickly this year has blown by. What a year. And I'm also looking forward to 2023 and where the show goes next year. Thank you so much for rating this show in the top 1.5% of podcasts worldwide. We have some amazing guests booked in for next year. And yeah, I'm excited to say uh, bye-bye to 2022. And I want to preface this topic, this episode, by saying that 2022 has been extremely difficult for many of us, right? Especially especially in our relationships, the challenges we have faced, the conflicts, in our relationship choices, with the lack of physical connection, especially at the beginning half of this year, and and that has continued on with loved ones, the confusion and fear around that connection, getting sick, spreading sickness, and of course, cancel culture, and the various ideologies that are really exploding and booming, that are creating more division than togetherness. It is hard. It's difficult to navigate. So today's episode is actually inspired by you. It's the most requested topic that I have been asked to speak about all year through emails, through text messages, through I um, Instagram DMs. And obviously, this is the perfect time as the last episode just to really uh, bring this topic to the surface a little bit and go deeper together. I'm going to ask a question by one uh, by a fan of the show. Okay, so like I said, it has been a really, really hard year. So if you're feeling alone or lonely, or maybe even having those victim mentality thoughts, like I am unlovable, if you really feel disconnected, you feel stuck in that victimhood, I'm hoping this episode will inspire you and maybe help you to see the world from a different perspective and kick you out of that looping thought, that looping victimhood. And it's not to take away or blame you for being in that position. That is not the intent of the episode. It's really to come together and share. I'm I'm going to share some very deep and vulnerable things about my relationship, about my growth, about how intuitive awareness has helped me in the most difficult situations that I've ever experienced relating to others. And I want that for you. I want you to break your thought loops especially the ones that you are now becoming aware of that are not working for you, okay? So big fan of the show. Her name's Emily, Emily C. She asked this question back in July of 2022. I have it marked down in my podcast notebook. 
<laughs> and I'm finally getting it to it because honestly, multiple people have asked this ex- exact same question in many different forms. So today I'm answering it in the podcast because the answer is complex and needs to be unpacked over time. Like, so this might be a long episode. I'm not sure. We'll see. She asked, well, she stated, she said, you and Michael seem to have a perfect relationship. How did you get from divorced, depressed, and unhappy to what seems like an extremely healthy relationship? Okay. This is the question Think people ask me all the time. What have you learned from past experiences? How did you get into your relationship with Michael? Um, and, 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 and so on and so forth. So today we're talking about romantic relationships. I'm going to reference my personal ones and share how I went from divorce and unhappy to my amazingly healthy relationship with Michael and how you can use intuitive awareness to move through difficult emotions and relational experiences. You can learn your loops, your relational loops and how to break them with intuitive awareness. How does that sound? Good? Okay, so I'm going to start this podcast with an unexpected tone, I think. I'm not going to give you relationship advice in the form that you're most likely used to. Why? Well, because how has that advice been working for you? When you look to emotional or emotional, relational teachers, Um, And some are excellent, don't get me wrong, but the vast majority of people who are telling you how to relate are giving you coping skills and strategy. This is not that. This is not how I moved from divorce and unhappy into a very secure attachment relationship. I'm not going to get into the attachment styles, which if you haven't heard before, are avoidant, secure, and anxious, anxious attachment, anxious avoidant. Um, So... I'm going to hopefully lift a little bit of a veil here by approaching it in an unexpected tone. If you are in partnership right now, we're going to do an exercise. If you are in partnership, I want you to think about the most recent argument you've had with a said partner. And if you didn't argue, perhaps it was something that they did or something they were supposed to do or how they broke their word, or maybe they said something offensive, okay? If you're not in partnership, if you are single, I want you to think of the last time that you were hooked by someone. So this is like general relating. It doesn't have to be with a partner. It could be with a friend or a coworker, or even like if you opened your Instagram and saw someone, or or Twitter, (laughs) and someone on the internet posted something that offended you. Okay, or went against your political views or against your values. Okay, so we're thinking of recent difficult situations where a person said something. And if you're in relationship, let's refer it to someone you're relating with, your romantic partner, whoever um, is in your life. And if you're single, just anyone in general will work. When they said something or did something, I want you to think about how you felt. What happened when that person did that thing or let you down or offended you or ticked you off? What most likely happened is that you had a feeling come up, okay? You felt something. You started to get annoyed or offended. 
Think about the last time you were offended. Did that feeling of being offended consciously happen or did it happen automatically? What most likely happened is you weren't consciously thinking about what that person said or did. A feeling came up. You automatically felt anger or that fire building inside. It happens to me. It happens to me. Like if someone offends me, it just like, it's like this match lights the flame and I become this like hot, I feel like hot and mad. So you automatically began to feel hurt or disappointed or shocked or whatever the emotion was, your body responded and the feeling came up from your gut into your mind, which most likely caused you to defend yourself in one way or another. Defense is that fight or flight you you became, either you started to defend with words or attacking or you retreated. So think about it, how does that feel for you? Does that feel about pretty accurate? When someone offends you, you aren't consciously deciding to feel hurt or angry. It happens automatically. The moment you heard your partner say something, the moment you read that tweet, the moment someone tugged at a belief in you, a subconscious belief in you, you reacted automatically. So why does this happen? It happens because our brain makes over 27,000 decisions in a single day. In fact, I was just reading a a recent study and it suggested that we make upwards of 50,000 decisions a day. That's a lot of decisions. Like you're like, no, I don't. I don't make those, but you do. The the most alarming part is that we aren't conscious of 90% or more of those decisions. For example, you didn't consciously decide to get angry or upset. It happened automatically. That's like a big thing. Our subconscious made that decision automatically for you. You didn't think, okay, body, that was offensive. Cue anger. Okay, you weren't consciously pulling anger up. It just happened. You didn't think and... You didn't say, I'm going to decide that you're wrong, so I'm going to react by getting emotional. You're not doing that. It happens. It's already happened. Perhaps you can ponder or reflect on this consciously afterwards with, you know, some conscious thought or deliberation. Okay? And I want to make one thing clear, and I've said this before, I'm going to say it a million times. It's not bad that this is happening. We need this to happen. It happens to everyone. No one is immune to this subconscious automation. It happens to everyone. I speak about this a lot. So if you've done this exercise with me, great. I hope you did it again. And we're brought into consciousness again. It's so important to acknowledge the ways that we have, that we behave subconsciously and the importance of it. And if you have consciously decided which foot to put in front of the other when you are walking, good for you. (laughs) Most of the time we like get up and like walk to the bathroom or wherever we go in the morning without thinking about it. But we're still choosing. Those are still choices. We are choosing how much pressure to put on our foot, how long or short our gait is, how our eyes are adjusting to the light or or not, if we're going to turn the light switch on or not. Like we're just doing these things without thinking about them. What exact pattern you brush your teeth with, you're not thinking about that. You've done it so many times, it happens automatically. How you decide to do your routine, those mundane everyday tasks that that take, you know, very little effort or focus because they're automated. If we had to consciously choose how, what pattern to brush our teeth and 
um, how much, you know, pressure to flick the light switch on, things like that, it would take an extraordinary amount of effort and focus. So that's why our bodies, our brains just automate these things for us. So the problem with that is that most of us have been taught some form of people-pleasing, avoidant behavior, anxious attachment behavior, that when it comes to relating, when we enter these types of conflict or are faced with adversity or difficult confrontations or clashing of values or belief systems, we react in automation, all right? Now, subconscious automation of conditioned beliefs is actually part one of today's lesson. Just sort of bringing you from subconscious and unaware to conscious and aware, which is what we just did. We did that exercise. You felt it, okay? Part two involves taking responsibility for how you actively relate and choose to participate in relating. So there's two things. There's becoming conscious of your automated emotional reactions, Part two is taking responsibility for yourself, okay? Now, I know I can take you from subconscious and unaware to conscious and aware. We just did that. That's what that exercise you just did was. I know that most, if not all of you, had a realization that, yeah, I don't consciously choose, right? I don't consciously choose how I emotionally respond to arguments. It just happens. And it can escalate really fast. It can ask one minute, you could be fine. The next, you might hate someone or cancel them hard. You go into defense mode. You say things you don't mean. You behave in ways that aren't in alignment with your values, that aren't who you are. You become, and I'm sure most of you listening, this happens to myself as well. You become mean or hurtful and ugly, be it in victimization, so towards yourself ugly, mean, and hurtful towards yourself, or in judgment, being ugly, hurtful, and mean outward to other people. So I can show you that. I can, I can bring you in from, I can bring you into your awareness, into your conscious decision making. All right. What I can't show you is the level of responsibility you are willing to take in your life. That has to be for you. This is the hardest part of relating, especially because most of us have been conditioned to think things like, um, you complete me, meaning without a partner, I am not whole. Or you are here to save me, knight in shining armor, come and save me, meaning my security is at the mercy of someone else. All right. Or the happily ever after, meaning that once you find your person, you're no, you no longer need to work on yourself or on the relationship and that both of you will always feel this blissful way and nothing will ever change. And you'll always have each other's back and you'll always feel this love for each other that will under no circumstances ever change. <laughs> that is like obviously very bullshit. We can, we can think that now and we can agree to that now in this moment. But as soon as we drop into our automation, those things will control us. Our subconscious mind and those deep-seated beliefs will control how we relate. Because we can know we're doing that, but in the moment when we are unconsciously, automatically making decisions, we can't. 
So the level of responsibility here, the level of responsibility that you are willing to take in doing this work, in taking responsibility for those subconscious um, decisions and automations and unlearning them or training them or conditioning them somewhere else, that is, I can't show you that. You need, that's the work you need to do. So I am also aware that there's a sliding scale in these conditioned beliefs. Like some women can't even imagine life without a romantic partner. Like it is terrifying to be alone. Terrifying. There, it's, it's impossible. And some are learning and leaning more into their, I don't know, dare I say the word independence, that they're starting to trust themselves and understand that they are whole and they've always been whole. Okay, there's a sliding scale there. So wherever you are, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make you better or worse. Okay, there's no medal of honor for, you know, becoming more dependent. It, it, that's not a thing. I just want to make that abundantly clear. It doesn't matter where you are. However, because the only really important thing is, is that no matter where you are on the scale, if those beliefs are causing you pain or heartache or shame, or grief, or difficulty, this is when you need to wake up and take responsibility. Some people will live their whole life completely blissfully unaware and happy in a codependent relationship and have, you know, no shifts in it. Others are, understand the value of who they are and that they are not in a in a healthy relationship and want to make change. Does that make sense? So my fr- my friend, Mark Groves, he um, manages and runs the Create the Love Instagram profile. He's incredible. He posted a video and I'm gonna, I shared it on my Instagram last week. It really resonated with me. Um, it was about how when a person finds a partner and is in a healthy and thriving relationship, the automated thought, the subsequent feeling about witnessing this type of relationship. So when you see someone who's in a really healthy relationship, the the automated feeling is that that person is so lucky, okay? And this resonated because over the last three years, I have been told that I am so lucky that I found Michael. I can't even tell you how many times. I can't even tell you how many times or questions or or not questions, comments I've had about Michael, all right, and how people see our relationship. Almost every time I post a story or or see people even in person, person to person, they see our relationship firsthand. I get that you're so lucky. You're so lucky. And I personally think that that is complete BS. Now, I'm going to share with you the quote that Mark Groves said in the video. It's a really long quote, but before I do that, I I think it's this is a really good opportunity to share <laughs> and break down that ideology, that subconscious loop that you're lucky. People that have find healthy relationships are lucky because Michael and I aren't lucky. We are conscious and aware and taking responsibility for our own selves within the partnership. So we, I just took you from conscious and unaware to conscious and aware with that exercise about feeling the automated emotions and 
we're taking responsibility. So I can't show you how to take responsibility for your life. So I'm going to tell you about how this sort of came up for me and how I began to take responsibility for myself. Okay. I'm going to give you a brief history of my dating life. (laughs) And uh, let me remind you that I'm 41 years old and I've dated a lot of fish in the sea, a lot of them. And I'm going to simplify these stories, but here we go because, you know, people think it's luck. I'm going to tell you what, what happened. Okay. So it all began when I was a child. (laughs) I'm actually going to go all the way back 40, you know, 35 years ago when I was four or five years old, my first love was my father and I loved him and I wanted to marry him. I know a lot of kids want to marry their parents, their parents, um, they, because well, obviously we don't know. Um, but that's the first real connection that we have for many of us, not everyone, but for many of us, um, we have, we want to marry our parents and I thought he was everything. And I witnessed him in relationship with my mom. I witnessed their relationship together. And that's where I learned a lot of my existing behaviors. I witnessed him cheating on my mom, for example, being absent, avoiding us, punishing us, punishing my mom. When I was 12, he eventually left my mom and my family permanently for his secretary, who was 20 years his junior, and they traveled the world. They had this lavish life. And sooner rather than later, we were no longer invited to you know, Christmas dinner, he stopped stopping in, visiting us over the weekends, things like that, and eventually became estranged. So I even ran into him randomly a few years ago at a work um, function. He was there with his entire work community, and they didn't even know he had a daughter. He had never spoken about me publicly to that work, to his like coworkers. So Why is this important? It's important because as a child, the vast majority of my ideas and beliefs and thoughts around love and marriage were formed. This is what I like to call my love foundation. You also have a love foundation, how you subconsciously define love and then build your building blocks of relationships on top of that foundation. The foundation is created in your formative years between the ages of, you know, four to Well, people say like five to 12, others say four to 14, but this is the time where you are building your love foundation and we are not aware that this foundation is being formed. Okay. We aren't even choosing it. It is being chosen for us by our caretakers and our parents and our teachers at that young age. We aren't deciding. We're learning. We're witnessing. We're observing through, through behaviors, through words, through watching, through silence, through all of the little cues that kids pick up on and how they learn about what the world really is. This is how our love foundation is formed. And I fell in love with my first real boyfriend, real boyfriend at age 16. So My, I don't know, um, introduction into an actual romantic relationship happened when I was 16. My brain was not fully formed. I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. And, and, you know, I lost my virginity to him. My brain said he's the one. I envisioned myself marrying this guy with children. I was so in love with him. And 
you know, <laughs> we call this when as adults, we call this young love. But when you're 16 years old and in that, you can't see outside the box. You can't see outside the walls that are there. He was everything. He was the center of my universe. I loved him so much. We dated for a year. He cheated on me, broke my heart and left me in the dust. Okay. So that experience at 16 sort of reaffirmed that I was on the right path. This is what my father did and this is what he did. And again, that was like a block, maybe not affirmed that I was on the right path, but that my love foundation was, how should I say this? Like mirrored to me. It was, I saw a lot of my father in this relationship and how, especially how it ended. So that sort of felt like home to me. That was the idea of what love was and how I, it was my job to, um, to change this element in my partner. Does that make, to have them choose me? Does that make sense to you? So, My next boyfriend, I was 17, and this particular person was a drug addict. I did a lot of drugs with him. Um, Mom, earmuffs, (laughs) if you're listening. Um, He treated me like shit, but I loved him for it. And luckily, luckily, I was in high performance sport at this point. Like I started to um, compete at a higher level in moguls and freestyle skiing. And at 17 years old, so just after I started dating this guy, um, I made the national team and I stopped all the drugs because of drug testing. My love for sport and my need to excel in that lifted me out of the fog on that one. So I ended up choosing sport. And eventually this boy, he cheated on me too. He 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 actually told me that he was um, having an affair. I mean, fuck, we were like 18 years old at this point. I was in Switzerland at a training camp. <laughs> And we broke up and I never spoke to him again. I remember it, it was so interesting. We, there was, remember, this was there was no cell phones or really internet. This was back in 1999. So he dumped me over the phone. I was calling him on a payphone with a calling card. Remember those? And I was standing at the payphone outside this in like the Swiss neighborhood with cobblestone streets. And it was cold and I was like dressed up and I was talking to this guy who I loved and he dumped me <laughs> for some other girl. And I was just like devastated. So again, reaffirming my beliefs on men. This is, these are all things that were happening without my awareness. I, I can break this down for you in a, in a manner that makes sense and follow this chronological order. But in the moment, it wasn't chronological. It was chaotic. It was random. I had no idea. I had no conscious awareness of this. So then I started sleeping around, okay, and manipulating men trying to use my, my finesse for sport. My, my, I was posturing a little bit using my status as a national team athlete. I also had this perfect body. I was trying to control men. So at ages 18, 19, 20, I was traveling the world full time, full time. I was doing this. I was manipulating men, having lots of sex in multiple area codes, countries, and not giving a single shit about that person as long as I was able to A, sleep with them and B, leave them wanting more. Choose me, see me 
and then breaking that connection. See you later. I'm Canadian. Bye. Okay. So how healthy is that? What do you think? Can you see what's happening here? Back home. So I spent um, on average three weeks a month abroad, training, competing, and about one week a month at home. I started to work at this bar part-time to make some extra cash, and I was there for several years. Um, They kind of sponsored me a job. Thank you so much. That was amazing because, yeah, I need to make some money. And um, I actually fell in love with this man. His name is Chris. So I started sleeping with him when I was at home, which was like sporadic. Like I said, one week a month. And it was perfect because I didn't need to commit to him, but I was able to sort of control him. And he always came back to me when I was gone. He would come back. See what I'm saying? Like it was like this really unhealthy dynamic, but it worked for us or I believed that it worked for us. Um, He was also a drug addict and I actually began to, this was when I was on the national team leading into the Olympics while we were starting our four-year quad um, preparations, I began to participate in some not so good behaviors with him. He was influencing me. I thought I deserved it. I was working so hard. I wanted to come home and numb myself. So I started smoking cigarettes. I was drinking a lot with him. We were basically smoking, drinking. He was doing drugs every time we saw each other. Okay. Like every single time we were together, we were not sober. 2003, when I was at a training camp in France, Chris overdosed on crack cocaine and died. Yeah. So that left me, well, speechless right now, really. Like he, his death really left a lot of shame and fear and abandonment a little bit there. And I never told anyone about this secret relationship because he was sort of a rotten egg by society standards, but I was attracted to him and that made me a rotten egg in my mind as well. Like I knew I could see his destructive behaviors, but I wanted to be a part of it and be destructive in my own sense. Okay. So, but his death really impacted me deeply and I felt responsible, um, in, you know, I, I, if only I was there for him, if only I could help him or, cause I knew that he was on a bad path. I didn't by no means think that this would ever happen, but it was, it was hard. <laughs> and I, I, you know, went to his funeral and I hung out with his friends and they, and I just sort of distanced myself a little bit from it because I rationalized in my mind that, sport was more important. And I had this goal of going to the Olympics. So I needed to put this behind me. So I just buried it. I just buried it. And for the next couple of years, I dated more troubled men, all of which cheated on me, all of which ended in a fiery burning disaster. Okay. Burning disaster. In 2005, I met my ex-husband, Ken. It was 2004, 2005. We had a whirlwind of a relationship. We fell in love hard and fast. I knew he was the one. I knew he was the one. 
I loved him so much. His charismatic personality was like really infectious. I thought he saw me. I thought he knew me. I thought he was my knight in shining armor. I thought he was the best looking man on earth. He was so hot in my opinion. He was charming, muscular, athletic. He like checked all the boxes. We were married in 2008. And if you know, or if you want to know more about the relationship, there's an episode. Um, I, I think it's way back in like 2017. It's called Till Death Do Us Part, where I explain, um, I go really in depth about that. It's an oldie. It's an oldie podcast, but a goodie. Wow. That was like five years ago. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. 2017 was five years ago. Holy shit. Um, anyways, the Coles notes is that I entered and participated in a violent, physically and emotionally abusive relationship. And I was blinded by my subconscious fairy tale ideas about marriage and, and chose to participate and chose to trap myself. And even, I even felt that love thy captor ideology where one begins to love the pain and punishment because it's all I knew. I kept going back to it. I felt like that was what I deserved. In the moment, I had no awareness. I was doing this completely automated. I was attracted to it. I participated in it without conscious thought. It was like, you're my person because you are reaffirming my love foundation. You are showing me what I believe love is. And it is my duty to fix you and change you and make you see me. All right. (gasps) Saying that out loud is very powerful, is it not? So, whew. In 2010, I left Ken, which was probably the most heroic thing I think I've ever done ever in my life. It was so difficult, obviously. Um, He didn't just let me leave easily. It was very difficult. However, I continued to move forward and get divorced. And by then, online dating was invented. (laughs) Oh, fuck. And the onion layer peels even deeper. Let's go. Online dating, I deep dove into all of my old habits, was sleeping with everyone who gave me the look or like swipe right or what is it? Matched with me. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And uh, man, I fell for a lot of losers. Um, Anyone, really that I thought I could control with sex. But really what I was doing was, you know, constantly like interviewing. I had this like checklist at the time, you know, what was going viral was that like pros and cons lists of relationships and what do you really want? So I was like interviewing people and checking off these boxes and testing them and begging them to like, love me, see me, save me. And later in 2010, um, I actually began to date a married man. No, I didn't know he was married at the time. He told me that he was divorced, separated. He had been married. He was living with his parents. Um, This is a really complicated five-year relationship that I'm not going to get into right now, but I will give you the Coles notes. Um, Again, I thought he was the one. I wanted to have his babies. Um... We got all the way to looking at houses to move in together, uh, to starting to have, like, to try to conceive when I found out that he was 
in fact married with a child and he was lying to me and he was actually the same man as all the others tied up and packaged as the world's biggest relationship lesson given to me with a big red bow on top. That's what he was. He was the same thing packaged a little bit differently. And after I found out about, you know, the deception and the betrayal, it was all too familiar. It was almost like a relief. Oh, there it is. Yep. He's betraying me again. There was this moment where I thought I could get him to leave his wife and pick me. I thought like that's where my brain was. My thoughts, my lack of responsibility, my lack of self-respect, lack of self-love, self-compassion. That's where I was at. My automation was like to win. See me, choose me, save me, pick me, pick me, pick me. Needless to say, after that breakup, (laughs) I decided not to date for uh, an extended period of time. Well, I decided not to date right away. And that was the summer of 2014. And I called it the summer of Elisa. Now, I was learning and practicing intuitive awareness at this point. I'd had some major life calls. I'd started to work with the therapist with my, with my, um, my spiritual coach at that point. So I started to sort of see the patterns. Okay. I didn't really want to face them head on, but I could see that things were like, that I was responsible for a lot of this for my side. And I, I, and I want to point out that the summer of Elisa was extremely significant because it was the first time that I did something different. So I was consciously choosing not to replace my broken heart or fill the void or, you know, blame and shame with someone else, you know? So I didn't want to fill the void by just finding another man or having sex or manipulating or whatever, because that's what I would always do in the past. So it was significant. I did something different. I took an action. And for about four months, I was single. I was not dating. I was focusing on my career. I was having fun with friends, et cetera, et cetera. I thought I was like a changed woman. After four months, I was like, hallelujah. I am such a catch. <laughs> I'm like ready to face the world. I am changed. And it was in the fall of 2014. So just like in September, October, after that summer, I met the last boyfriend I had before I met Michael. So I fell in love hard again. I thought he was the one. I wanted his babies. Move basically into the exact same pattern. I actually moved in with him like three months later. I manipulated him with sex. I did all the things, everything. It just defaulted right back to that same. I I related with him in the same way that I had learned to relate with men my whole life. And I reaffirmed myself and, but I thought I was different because I had done a little bit of work. Like Basically, kindergarten. If we're thinking from kindergarten to a master's degree, I had made maybe gotten to grade one. Okay. <laughs> Eventually, guess what? He cheated on me. He broke my heart. And that was kind of like a big deal for me, the biggest deal, because I had done some work. And I was like, this isn't working. This is bullshit. I was a changed woman and this, this still happened to me. So I really started to feel like a failure in my life. And I was 
you know, in my mid thirties, I was single. I had no kids. I didn't have a house. I had no real plan. And I was looping in this victim mentality that I'm not lovable. I'm not good. I was like really upset and depressed and it was hard. It was like really hard. Life sucked and I sucked and nobody would ever love me. And listen, a huge part of me knew, a huge part of me knew that I was a serious catch. Like I really felt like a good looking woman. I knew I was smart. I knew I had a lot of really positive and passionate skill sets. I knew I was like, I knew I was really good at my job. I was really successful in my coaching career in high demand. I, you know, I had amazing friends. I was cultured, thoughtful, hardworking, all of these things. I knew that. And I watched all my friends getting married and having babies and finding their person. And I was the one who thought, They are so lucky. When is the universe going to bring this for me? I am worthy of this and I deserve this. When do, uh, like, why can't I be so lucky? This, there was a deep wound in my heart. And I convinced myself with self talk, with action, with the movies that I would watch with the music I would listen to everything like reaffirmed that I was unlovable. I was broken. I was damaged goods. I, and, and I had way too much baggage. Like think of all the things I just told you about my past with men. How was I ever going to break that loop? How was I going to move from victimhood into, I don't know, wholeness into personal power and grounded wholeness. (sighs) The funny thing too, was that looking back as I'm telling this story, I know that I was whole that whole time. I just didn't believe it. And belief, whether it's subconscious or conscious, controls everything, 99% of everything. I was whole. I just didn't believe it. So after my last boyfriend and I broke up, um, I dedicated myself to learning and becoming intuitively aware. This is what led me towards the most profound work, mental and emotional work I have ever done for myself. I had taken, I decided that those four months was not enough and that I wanted an indefinite period, an indefinite amount of time that I needed to just work on myself because I recognized there was a part of me that recognized that, yes, I am this great person. Why am I not seeing this? Why do I not? Why do I sacrifice and, and, you know, why do I sacrifice my greatness for the approval of others? Why do I give myself away? Why am I keeping, why do I keep giving my power away to these men and trying to control them to have them see me? Because I don't even see myself. I know the stuff about me, but I don't see it in me. And I don't behave in a way that I stand tall and I am confident about the freaking accomplishments I've made. And I just keep victimizing myself. And it was this constant loop. So, so for three years, yes, three wonderful, epic years, I was single. I dated myself. I'm sure you've heard the story. I talk about it often. I revisited my I revisited my childhood ideology. I learned to unlearn the subconscious attachments I made with my father. I forgave him. And no, to forgive is not to forget. It is to let go of the energy and emotion that we've attached to the wound 
That's what forgiveness is. It's not about the person. You've heard this before. It's about detaching from the wound and moving on and forgiving. It's for you. It's your wound. Forgiveness is for you. And with the practice of that, I mean, I'm not going to say that that wound is completely healed. It is sometimes it still shows up. The journey is ongoing. However, my ability to see it and br- come into conscious, uh, like break the subconscious automation of reaction is there. I'm able to self-soothe and I'm able to get out of that victim very quickly. So this was not without pain and pff, suffering, if you will. I can't even tell you how many times I cried myself to sleep. I <laughs> like, uh, what a time. I watched movies like The Notebook (laughs) and like put myself in this like loop of self-pity, choose me, see me. I victim, I victimized myself and like replayed so many situations and hurt my own feelings over and over again so many times, so many months out of that three years. A lot of that time alone was spent replaying old shit and recognizing how my mind is looping, how these subconscious emotions keep coming up because I just buried them. I never felt them. I never saw them. I never learned from them. I just like avoided them. I ran from them. I numbed them. I pushed them away. So I learned how to become aware. And when those subconscious emotions were coming up and controlling the way I felt when I became, when my wellness was at the mercy of all that garbage, I became aware. And yes, I had support from my coach, Adele Stratton. I didn't do this alone. I, I didn't know the way I didn't know how to do it. So she showed me and helped me. I needed that help. And I took it and I dated myself. I love myself. I unlearned the conditioned behaviors that I had spent decades solidifying and reconfirming in toxic relationships. And I little by little consciously chose a different path for myself. How wonderful is that? That's my power. That's the, that's the choice that I was conditioned to believe I did not have. How many times do we think we don't have a choice? Well, we do. We just have to open the walls a little bit and start to learn how to see the world differently. That's how intuitive awareness healed me. And then one day, three years later, at a public free workout on a Wednesday morning, it was called November Project, at 6.29 a.m., I met Michael. Now, our relationship is not without difficulty. So yes, it is very healthy, but health healthy doesn't mean without conflict or difficulty. Some of you may even remember this, but after our first six months of dating, Mike actually broke up with me. He dumped me. He like destroyed my heart. I was, no, he didn't. My heart was so broken and he did it in the car. (laughs) He was driving me home. I had slept at his house. We had a great date. We, I was feeling so good about our relationship. He was driving into work and he was dropping me off. We didn't live together at the time. And he dumped me. And I couldn't even get out of the car and run away and hide and, and you know, be mad and stomp and slam the door. <laughs> I had to sit in the car with him for like 15 torturous minutes of death. It was the worst. And, you know, that was... That was hard. 
because he, everything was good. Everything was good. And he dumped me. And that was, that threw a huge wrench into everything. And I spent a, a, we spent some months apart and we got together back at the beginning of the pandemic. So the bottom line is that we have conflict, heartbreak. We have difficulty in our relationship, in our past. And the difference is how the difference between all the other relationships that I've ever had and the one with Michael is how we've shown up for ourselves without, within that conflict. So my need to fix and manipulate and please had shifted. Instead of, of doing those, I had rewritten my love foundation. So instead of doing those automated, habitual, see me, please me, save me behaviors, I self-soothed. Oh my God, that feels so good to say it out loud. I felt those difficult emotions and I forgave myself and I sat in silence And I cried. I cried with intention. I focused on the health of my body. I connected to that inner child. I soothed her because she hurt too. That wound ran very deep in the abandonment, my father's abandonment. Michael did that. Well, at least in my mind, it felt like that's what he did. So I showed up for her. And when my automated emotions came to the surface, I consciously put space between myself and those old habitual conditioned reactions. And I learned how to regulate and then choose how to respond. Finding and having a great relationship with Michael was not luck. And that brings me back to my friend, Mark Groves, and one of his recent posts on his account, Create the Love. So I'm going to read the quote that he said right here because it basically surmises exactly what I just said <laughs> in like one minute. <laughs> this is this is a long quote. This is, um, I, I, yeah, I hope that it sort of wraps this all together brilliantly in your mind as it did in mine. So he said, a lot of people will say that finding and having a great relationship is just luck. Like God the universe, whoever, just putting the right person in that person's path and they just got lucky. And I'm saying that's bullshit. Great relationships don't just happen. We create them. We are responsible for the outcomes we get in relationships. We are responsible for who we choose in our relationships. Now, while we can choose poorly and then gather information that the relationship is not healthy Then we need to move on. We are the active participants in unhealthy relationship dynamics. Again, this is not to blame people who are experiencing victimization, but to say that we are going to do something with the information we get from how we relate. All the pains that we have in relationships are teaching us where our limitations are. They're teaching us where our communication edges are. They're teaching us where our patterns keep us stuck. And part of the patterns that keep us stuck is saying good relationships just happen to lucky people. So while those lucky people are living the life and creating relationships that are nurturing and loving and expansive and growth oriented and celebrated repair and feedback, We're sitting there saying, this can't happen for me and it doesn't happen for you. 
because you're waiting for God or the universe to intervene and give you that thing instead of you intervening in your own life and changing it and choosing to participate in relationships that are expansive. And in order to do that, you have to expand and get beyond your comfort zone. End quote. So it's pretty good, don't you think? That was like, I watched it like three times and I was like, oh my God, that really resonated with exactly my journey over like 10 years. 10 years it took me to sort of break, not sort of, 10 years it took me to really consciously break the loop. To finally answer Emily's question of how did you get from divorced, depressed, and unhappy to what seems like an extremely healthy partnership, Emily, the answer is I created it. And no, there is no end. I'm not finished. Like, do you think I'm finished? (laughs) Heck no. I am not finished expanding myself or my relationship with Michael. We co-create together. We both are working at breaking down the layers of our conditioned mind and our frightened egos and our wounded inner children, our our childhood wounds. We do this by becoming aware of automation and taking responsibility for myself. This, This looks like respectful communication. It looks like not taking everything personally, not making assumptions about one another and, and having the courage to ask questions for clarity. Remember, I love the uh, Brene Brown. I think it's Brene Brown. She says, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. When we are being clear with how we feel and what we want, that is kindness. When we are being unclear, playing games, you know, giving mixed messages, that is unkind. And we reflect on the ways in which we aren't showing up for one another. We listen to each other. We hold space when when we're in uh, emotional reactivity, which is common, especially in the last like few years. Like, frick, we have grown together during the hardest, most div- divisive world ever. And just the other day, okay, I'll give you an example. We had a fight. We had we both disagreed and we name called, and then we became aware that we were reacting to, we were reacting in ways we were taught as children to react. That's kind of the best way, I think, to name calling. Like when you see kids, when you see adults name calling, you're like, you can see them as being children. That's what we were doing. But when you're in it, you don't see it that way. You see it as your defense mode. You're in automation. You're defending your position and you're trying to feel superior because your ego's wounded. And so you name call to Put yourself above the other person. And then they do the same thing and it just becomes this fight and it's so childish. So we we became aware of this and we took pause. We took a breath. We downregulated. We talked about it in our adult minds. We apologized. We forgave and we grew closer to one another and we let it go. Like that's what that. That is the growth and expansion together is to be able to take pause and reflect and discuss. These are skills. This is a skill. And no, I didn't just like learn it and and 
be able to execute it perfectly every single time. Are you kidding me? No, this is a practice. It's to be practiced. Taking responsibility is a practice. It's really hard. Sometimes you know that you're wrong or you're the one that hurt the other person and you still deflect or you double down and and try to still make that person wrong even though now like you're deeply invested in your own bullshit because you're the one who's wrong. You're avoiding responsibility when you double down like that. And it's it's a practice to to end up and say I am sorry. I hurt you. I see you. And I'm going to work at loving you. So the more support that you have with family and friends and coaches and therapists, whomever, the better. Because it is a practice and you're going to get to a point where you don't know what to do. And when you're there, that is a very, very good place. That is when we take a pause even greater and we sit in the silence. We need support and good examples of people that are in these healthier relationships to change what's possible for you. You need to, oftentimes people need to see the path. This is a situation where you must keep walking forward and the more you practice, the more clear the path becomes ahead of you. Intuitive awareness helps you to see the path a little bit more clearly and helps you to regulate your automated emotions so that you will you will not allow your emotional chaos to control your relations okay the question is are you ready to do this work and break your own loops once and for all if you are looking for a healthy relationship if you're working through divorce if you're working through difficult um a difficult breakup and you feel alone and lonely, how, in what ways have you been taught to deal with that? Are you coping by eating ice cream and gossiping with your friends? Are you coping by just being around people or um, perhaps watching movies, drinking, doing drugs, whatever, whatever, going to your therapist? Like there are so many things that people have learned to do or are you going to start to learn the ways that you have been conditioned to stay in this horrible place and keep putting yourself back in that horrible place. This is what life does, the universe does, is it keeps showing you the lesson over and over again until you learn it, until you can bring it into consciousness, right? That's what it did for me over and over again. I just told you, you know, 15 years of horrible, disgusting, violent relationship uh, trauma, if you want to call it that, my past. And I'm in a wonderful, loving, expansive relationship. And it didn't get, I didn't, it didn't just fall into my lap. Okay. The journey is yours to make. The choice is yours. What you will learn will be different than what I experienced. Of course, we don't have the same deep seated subconscious beliefs, but this is the work. People want to know what I did. This is what I did. This is what I do. This is what I keep doing. I keep expanding and growing and learning about who I am. My journey is ongoing and as is yours. It's ongoing. Every day is one step in a direction. You get to choose what direction that is. That's your choice. That's your power. That's what we are conditioned to think that we don't have. 
there's so many things that will get in our way, the walls that we put around us to keep us in this loop. And intuitive awareness is also how I began to heal my relationship, not only in romantic settings, but my relationship with my body and with food and with fitness and with finances. I'm now in healthy relationships with those things because of the unraveling and the work that I did observing my conditioned beliefs without judgment. Observe, take responsibility, take massive imperfect action to expand. It won't be perfect. It will be massively imperfect. Unexpected things will come into play. It's your job to become conscious and break the loop and choose differently. And if your choices aren't the best, like that happened to me, (laughs) when they're not perfect, when they're not the best, you didn't fail. That's not failure. Now you have more information about what not to choose next time. Failure isn't a thing. Failure is an illusion. It's It's a word we attach meaning to that is fucking bullshit. It's, you hear so many cliches of like failure is part of growth. And yeah, it is. But like, failure is not a negative thing. Growth is not a positive thing either. Like it, you, it's all subjective. It's how you've learned to attach meaning to these things. But for me, failure is knowing what not to do next time, which we're not going to get into now, but that is deep. That's super deep, super deep. (laughs) So this technique Intuitive awareness not only helped me with romantic relationships, but in how I relate to all things in my life. All things have improved my vibration, my ideas, the veils have lifted in all areas and aspects of my life. And I'm going to continue to expand on those things because I'm not done. I'm only 41 years old. There's so much more to learn and so many more things to grow into and experience and go deeper with. And with that, I, I hope you all have some empowerment here, some ideas, some tools to finish off 2022, perhaps with a little bit more space inside of you to, to observe and, and have a plan moving forward. And of course, I'm always here if you choose to expand your awareness practice with me, either through the podcast, through social media, or within my program, which is called the Awareness 3X Effect. The start of a new year could be the fresh start. You need to do this work. I'm not saying a new year, new you. It just is sort of, I don't know, the start of a new calendar year. So if you're ready and you want to break the loop once and for all, go to elisaunfilteredcoaching.com and click the work with me tab for information about the program. All right. Up to you, your choice. All right. That's all for me today. Happy holidays. Happy new year. And I will see you here in the next episode of Elisa Unfiltered in 2023. Love ya. Okay, I'm over here giving you a big virtual hug because you just finished another episode of the Elisa Unfiltered podcast. If you haven't done so yet, I'd love for you to share the love and head over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify and give this show a five-star rating. I'll give you bonus points for leaving a written review. And if you're looking for more, head over to Elisa Unfiltered Coaching for show notes and all the links to all things Elisa Unfiltered. Have the best day, everyone. Until next time.